as you know, as a part of this past six weeks, we've been having folks from our church share their stories about themselves and how they came to know God and all that good stuff that we love and love to celebrate. And this morning's no different. I'm going to invite Stephen Smith up, and he's going to share a little bit about who he is and why we're twins today. <laughs> Just because we wore the same shirt. Unintentional. I know, right? Yeah. But so, so good. You know it works. Good morning, everyone. For those of y'all that uh, I've not met, my name is Stephen, um, and I am the quieter part of the couple um, that is the Weaver Smiths. Um, and so I'm going to be sharing kind of a little bit of what God's done in my life with y'all today. Um, as I reflected on what I was hoping to share today, um, you know, my, my first thought when Joe asked me was one, I was really honored. My second was, wait, I'm an introvert. This isn't kind of my thing to get up in front and talk, talk with people and share my story. But, um, you know, I was thinking through, and I think when I think about what God has taught me the most, it's, it's how to be there with those that, that are broken or who life is not turning out what they think it should be um, and what they would hope. Um, and so I want to share a little bit about that, um, a little background from me. Um, so I'm a pediatrician, and I work in hospice and palliative care, which usually when I tell people that, they say, oh my gosh, pediatricians work in hospice and palliative care. <laughs> Yes, we do. And we actually have some really great stories that come from it. Um, but as I was reflecting on this, there is a part of what we do where we walk with people who are waiting for a miracle, who are hoping for that miracle and praying for it. And we're praying alongside them. And they don't get it. Um, or at least what we expect it would be. And that's hard. Um, and for me, working with them, that's something that's hard. So... I want to take a moment to share how God brought me to a place of being able to let him work through me in those situations. Um, and I always like to kind of begin these stories with saying, if anything sounds like I'm saying like, oh, I'm, I'm great, I'm not. Um, and anything that sounds amazing is all God in this story. And so I would say... <laughs> Where God brought me to this um, was when I was 17 years of age. Um, so, spoiler alert, it's a sad story. So, just get ready. Um, but when I was 17, we were expecting um, what would have been my, my seventh sibling, um, my sister. Um, my mom's pregnancy was wonderful. It was amazing. Um, we got to know her significantly. Um, even when she was in utero, my mom was pregnant. Um, and sadly... What happened was when my mom had my sister, um, she experienced a uterine rupture. And so my sister died um, through that process. Um, never got to see her breathing, never got to see her alive. Um, but during that time, something of such hope in a second became a massive tragedy. Um, and I remember through that, the second I discovered it, this was this 17-year-old guy who knew God, thought he knew the world, understood how everything worked. Um, and all of a sudden something happened that was horrible, and I couldn't make sense of it. Um, and I don't know how many of y'all have had a moment where you walk out into the woods. We grew up on a 100-acre um, just plot of countryside in Georgia, and I literally I ran out and I screamed at God um, and was just the most real with him I think I've probably ever been in my life and told him how he was wrong and this was unfair. Um, and the response I got back in that moment was so amazing to me. Um, and that his response was, that's okay. You know, he was looking for that real emotion. And he was like, I'm, I'm sorry this happened. And I didn't know it then, but as I look back now and as I see people walking this path, 
<clears throat> I, I realize God probably felt that same pain too. Um, I don't pretend to know why it happened. Um, and in my job and in my life, and as I think back to my sister's legacy, um, I, I don't even know if I, this is where my theology and my heart kind of sometimes separate. I don't know if I would even say that God caused it. I'm, I'm still working through that. But I think he used it. But I think at the same time, he was also broken in seeing our brokenness. And so through that, as time went on, as time processed, um, one of the things that sadly became obvious to me was the church, yes, but even our culture at large, we don't do well with death. Um, we don't do well with supporting people when they've died. Um, and I think, honestly, when I look at that, it, it's not from a bad place. It's just we don't like being reminded of our own mortality. And I think looking at <clears throat> what my family went through and what God taught me through that um, is not only do we like not being reminded of our mortality, we especially don't like being reminded of our kids' mortality. And that that is something that's really difficult and painful. And so <clears throat> during that time, me and my family, we felt kind of cocooned. We felt a little bit alone. Um, and like I said, I don't think it was a malicious alone. I think it's just we, we struggle to process and support people through these things. And so through that... Um, and there's parts of the story that are so important that I wish I could get into, but recognizing the time we have. Through that, though, God healed my family, opened our hearts, and for me in particular, gave me a real burden and passion for people, for people who are experiencing that breaking, whose hearts are broken. Um, and so that transitioned me to the place where I am today, where honestly, if you would ask me 15 years ago, I, I have to keep running this number up as I get older, because I'm like, wait, 10 years ago, I was actually in medical school, so I can't say that anymore, but it's just a reminder of how I'm getting old. Um, but, uh, but at that time, I would have never guessed I'm doing what I'm doing now. Um, and what I'm doing now is such just an awe-inspiring part of God um, that it, it's humbling to me. There's no moment that I feel closer to him than when I get to be an extension of his love and his grace to people who are really hurting, um, who are really suffering. And so I really cherish the lesson and the gift that he gave me and really the, the lesson and gift that my sister gave me too. Even though she never once breathed in this world, never once um, you know, did I see her alive, I think she is one of the people that has the biggest impact on who I am um, and the biggest extension of what God has done in my life. Um, you know, I think a lot of times when I tell people what I do, um, the first reaction many times is, okay, please don't tell me that anymore. Um, but the other reaction is, and it comes from a well-meaning place, so I don't want this to come off like saying that I'm like, please don't say this. I, I, I recognize where it's coming from. But they say, oh, you're a really special person. Um, and I think that the message that I would like to say is, I'm not a special person, we have a special God. To the point where I can say, I'm not, I'm not thankful that my sister died. I would never say that. But I'm thankful he stayed with me um, and wanted to see the real me and my real pain and taught me how to be with people um, as they're experiencing that same pain. And I think it's not that I'm, I'm a special person, it's just I've been a broken person. And I think when you've experienced brokenness, it, it helps you realize how what people are looking for is just, just to be there with them, 
just to, to, to bear witness and know that they're not alone. And so I think as I think about my testimony and I think about what God's taught me, I think that's the biggest thing is just to show up and let him work through you um, and be there with those who, who are hurting. So, so yeah, appreciate y'all's time. If you want to talk more with Stephen or have some questions or just want to, you know, pick his brain or heart, uh, his email's on the screen, and I'm sure he'd love to do that, as it, even as an introvert. Yes. Yes. Okay. Good. having a chance to meet you. My name is Joe, and I'm one of the pastors here. I serve alongside my wife, Alyssa, and uh, where she is uh, currently focused on our Franklinton work, and uh, so she's there most Sundays. I, I don't know. Sometimes people ask me, so I just want to throw that out there in case you were curious. We'd love to tell you more about that. Um, uh, if you're if you're curious, let me know. Um, we're we're finishing up our series today on evangelism. Before we get there, I want to let you know something else that's going on in the life of the church. We haven't always been good at this kind of uh, uh, sharing milestones as a community, but it's something we want to get better at. Uh, so we're t- I'm going to do it today. But uh, our friends uh, uh, Sarah and Scott welcomed Elizabeth into the world this week. Uh, so yeah, you can yeah, please applaud. I'll let them know. There. There's a way for you to support them uh, and also a really easy way to get to their house and meet the baby because I know we love to do that. Uh, we have a meal train. You can sign up if you want to uh, provide a meal. Last I checked, there were a few spots left. Uh, it might fill up um, soon, but uh, we would love to uh, we'd love to fill it up. Um, and so you can go. You can find that meal train link uh, where you can sign up to say, I'm going to bring a meal uh, by going to centralcity.co, not C-O-M, just F-Y-I, C-O slash meal train. There's a link for that if you're interested in uh, supporting... Along those lines, too, like I said, we haven't always been super great at uh, doing some of the support around milestones in people's lives. And so if there's something you're particularly passionate about, um, I'd love to, or Renee, I'm sure, would love to talk to you more about what it means to, to lead in that area and help with uh, organizing meal trains or if someone ends up in the hospital providing some care around that. We would love to have that kind of conversation. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we started a series on evangelism. And one of the things that we've done is, we're trying to do two things here. One, we're we're dissecting, we're pulling apart, we're wrestling with evangelism as it currently exists in the world. Because what we've found and what studies have found, we've referenced a couple times a Barna study, it was referenced in the opening video if you read that, is what we found is that Christians today have this sort of love-hate relationship with evangelism. On the one hand, they'll say, Jesus is the most important thing. I mean, Jesus is a big deal to me. On the other hand, they'll say, I don't know that I should try to convert people. And so we've kind of begun to wrestle with that and think through what is it about evangelism as it's been given to us from, from previous generations that makes so many Christians, especially younger Christians, uh, uncomfortable with it, but not just how do we sort of dissect that from a, maybe a slightly more cynical place. We tend to do that here, sorry. Uh, I tend to be a little cynical, my apologies. Um, 
but, but, but how do we still do it? So we, we, we deconstruct a little bit, but how do we build it back up? Like, I still want to share my faith. I still want people to know Jesus and follow Jesus. Is there a different way to do it? And, and a lot of those stuff I've been reading is, is saying that that's what every generation has to do. That a generation might inherit a certain model. We, we inherit the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, grace that you can't earn. We inherit that. That doesn't change, and it's beautiful, and grace is always this amazing thing. We often inherit a model, a way of talking about our faith and certain expectations about how we talk about our faith. And every generation has to kind of reinvent and relearn what in the current culture and the way that we interact, what it means to share our faith in a healthy and life-giving way. So a couple weeks ago, I was talking about this, and one of the things that's core that I hope you'll walk away from uh, this sermon uh, in the series is that I, I'm there's a lot of really non-threatening ways to engage people on issues of faith. A lot of ways to talk to people. There's a lot of ways to start the conversations. Um, And I think all of those can be really helpful, especially if you trust that God is alive and active and able to do things beyond what you're able to comprehend. I, I believe in a God that's mysterious and at work and that God shows up and moves and that little things that I do that I don't even know where they're gonna fall into place down the road that they that God might use them in mysterious ways. So I was sharing some stories about how I've uh, put myself into places, uh, just made myself available at various times. I'm not very good at this. I'm an introvert. I don't like talking to strangers, but I've made myself available to talk to just random people at coffee shops or on campus. We go and do prayer walks on campus and just, you know, just look for open doors, non-threatening ways to talk to people and have conversation. I shared a number of stories that Sunday. Well, that Sunday there was a, a family visiting and uh, uh, we um, uh, connected through the Connect card, which is a very valuable tool, so please fill it out. And uh, we got together, and we had lunch this week, and they told me this story. They said, it was so funny that you mentioned you know, talking to random people. And specifically, I said, I don't know what comes of it. I don't know, like I might talk to somebody, I might not even get to the point where I share that I'm a pastor, or maybe I do, but I'm not, you know, I might not even invite, them. I don't know, and I don't know what comes of those conversations. This family said, we were looking for a church, and some paraphrasing and summarizing. I was looking for a church and struggling to find one, and I was talking with somebody, I mentioned that, and they said, well, have you checked out this church? It's like city something, and um, I, I can't remember the pastor's name, but he seemed really nice. And so this family, uh, uh, I, I met the pastor at a coffee shop. He talked to me, seemed nice, church is city something. And so they Googled it, and they found us. Now, I don't know. It might have been some other pastor being really faithful, um, but they ended up coming here, so that's fun. But I show this story as just a really simple example. It's like, I don't know what comes of this, but friends, I absolutely 100% believe that there is a God who is working, and when you just make yourself available, when you just show up, that God does stuff, that God moves. And sometimes you don't always get the story of like, you talk to some random person, they find out you're a pastor, and then down the road they tell someone else and that person finds your church because of you. That might not always happen. But God is real and God moves. That's where we want to start. And everything that we're talking about, it's this openness, this willingness to just be used by God, to show up, and be open to the possibilities in front of you. Now, as we continue, we're going to be beginning, uh, closing the series on evangelism, not because we're done with evangelism, but as a way to send us out and start, start practicing it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to spend some time in a very pivotal passage. You can't do a sermon on evangelism without looking at this passage. It's very important. It would have been maybe even a great place to start, but we're going to end with it. It's okay. Um, and we're not the only ones to end with it, because this is the gospel of Matthew ends with this passage. Jesus he had lived, he had ministered, he had discipled, which means he had, he had these students who he was teaching a new way of living. 
He died. They thought it was all done for. All the disciples ran, said this is over. And then he rose again. And before he leaves the disciples to continue his ministry, he does what we call the Great Commission. So if you have your Bible, we're going to spend some time in Matthew. Uh, We'll jump around to a few other places, but the majority of time will be in Matthew. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28. It's the very last chapter of Matthew, and we're going to look at the last four verses of Matthew. This is where Matthew ends. This is where we're going to end. And hopefully you can sense a, a, a sense of commission yourself, what it means to go and do this. So I'm going to read it, verses 16 through 20. It says this. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to you, given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of of the age. You pray with me. God, we ask that you would bless the reading of your word. We know that your words are powerful, sharper than a double-edged sword, able to cut to the very depths of who we are, that they can convict, that they can challenge, that they can strengthen. We ask that you would just prepare us, that your Holy Spirit would be evident that regardless of whatever I might say that you might speak to me and to all of us, that our hearts might be ready. Search us and know us. In your name we pray. Amen. So going back to verse 16, Matthew 28, verse 16, it says, uh, the 11 disciples went to Galilee, the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they did, they did two things. They worshiped him, but some doubted. They worshiped him, but some doubted. I absolutely love this. We are going to receive in just the next verse the great, this isn't the commission, this is the great commission. It's been known for that for a very long time. It's a very significant, go and do this. This is, this is what it means to be the church. And to the group of people that he's going to speak to, they worshiped him, but some doubted. I'm guessing today that that was our worship service, wasn't it? I mean, we worship Jesus, we showed up today, we sang some songs, but I, I'm promising you if, you, if this doesn't apply to you, there's people here who've got some doubts, you know, they're just not sure, and they're trying, and they're trying to figure it out, and maybe they're not connecting, or what, but this was the, it's not any different, this is the original 11 disciples, they worship Jesus, but some doubted, and, and friends, this is why I share this, because I think oftentimes in sharing our faith, we think, I've got to have it all figured out before I even start doing this. One of the things we would try to do with these testimonies is we invite people to come share their story and we don't tell them what part of the story to share and we don't tell them what flavor. In fact, we say your story might be sad, your story might be silly, your story might be fun, your story might be... We don't know. You come and share your story. And part of it is for this reason. When we oftentimes in the church have people share their testimony, we find the most powerful one that's most transformative and when we videotape them, then we edit it and we put it on the screen and everyone watches and says, wow, that was powerful. But then they walk away thinking, well, I clearly don't have a story worth sharing. No, no, no. The original disciples, some of them doubted. And Jesus is like, no, I still want you to go do this thing. So if you're hearing like, I don't know, I don't have it all figured out, great. You're in great company. That's how it all started. It's how it all continues. We don't have it all figured out. Here's what he's going to say to the group of people who both worshiped him and who doubted. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. 
all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. There is room. I think in our, one of the things that we wrestle with, that many of us wrestle with, uh, specifically around evangelism and around what it means to talk about our faith is the mode we've inherited tends to be very aggressive. Like you're going to interrupt somebody's day. They might not want to talk to you. You're going to talk to them. You're going to ask them, if you die today, would you go to heaven? Or give them, anyone familiar with those chick tracks? Those are intense. If you don't know what they are, go look them up. They're very intense. And it's probably going to happen on some, you know, like you're going to go to some place and you're going to, inter- and you're going to be this sort of, that's one of the modes of evangelism we've inherited. And I, and I think it turns off some people when we wrestle with that. And, and, and so we don't necessarily want to have that kind of arrogance. We don't necessarily want to have that kind of boldness. But there is room. We deconstruct that, but building it back up, we say, no, this mission isn't ours. There is room to be a little bold. There is room to say, you know what? We are following Jesus who has all authority in heaven and on earth. So we can have a little bit of, not arrogance, but a humble confidence, even with our doubts. He goes on and says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Pause there for a second. It sounds like in this passage, we're going to dissect it for just a second. It sounds like the command is to go and to make. In reality, in the Greek, the command is to make disciples. The, the, the verb go isn't in a command form. It's in a different form. A better way to translate it would be having gone. In, in fact, if you look at the Greek breakdown, it, it would say having gone, therefore make disciples. And it's this idea that like, while you're going, Jesus is speaking out of an assumption that you will continue on in life and you're going to run into people and you're going to talk and you're going to live. And while your life is here on earth, as you go, don't forget to make disciples. We'll just sit there for a second. Make disciples. Over the series, we've talked a lot about the difference between evangelism and conversion. We've suggested that, that evangelism is loving the world as God loves, and conversion is the work of the Holy Spirit. And I would go one step further, that the goal of evangelism isn't even necessarily conversion. This idea that like I would share my faith and someone would come to know Jesus and now they're a different person. The goal in the Great Commission wasn't go and convert people. It was what? To make disciples. Disciples an old biblical term. Best translation we have might be student. Go and help individuals become a student of Jesus. That's the invitation. And that's significant. He does say baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe baptism is this one of the ways in which we experience God's grace and it welcomes us into the, the community of God at, either as a child or as an adult. Um, and so there's a little bit of conversion language there with baptism, but ultimately he says you're baptized so that you can become a follower of Jesus, a student of Jesus. You're going to learn to live like Jesus. And, he, and if we're like, well, what, is that really what he's saying? Yeah, it's really what he's saying. Look at the next, next phrase, starting with verse 20. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The invitation to make disciples is to help individuals live more like Jesus would have them live. He's saying this at the end of Matthew. We've got the entire gospel as well as three other gospels to be very clear on what it means to obey the commands that Jesus Gave them. I said, Jesus is saying, I have been with you for three years. I have taught you how to look at different, look at people differently. 
live differently, look at the world differently, and follow a different way of life. And to make disciples is to help other people live that way as well. Now, we can summarize all of the commands of Jesus. In fact, we can summarize all of the commands of the entire very large book we call the Bible into two. And it's called, uh, referred to as, we, we just looked at the Great Commission. What's those two commandments that uh, we call them the Great Commandments? In fact, if you just jump back a couple of verses or a couple of chapters in Matthew to Matthew chapter 22, he tells us there's this teacher of the law. And he asked him, what's the greatest commandment Because uh, in the law? Because the law is filled with all of these rules. We talked about that when we talked about grace. It's filled with lots of rules. He says, what's the greatest? And Jesus tells him very, very simply, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Evangelism is the start of the discipleship process. That's kind of where it begins. That's what we've been talking about. The goal is to help people move into a relationship with God where they're increasingly loving God and neighbor more. It's as simple as that. And we do this while we're going. That's what he's saying, while he's going. It reminds me of this passage in, in, in 2 Peter. You don't have to turn there. I'll, I'll read it to you. In 2 Peter, it says, um, uh, it says, always be prepared to give, it's 1 Peter three fifteen. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give an answer for the reason of the hope. One of the reasons we spent six weeks walking through evangelism is because, friends, we should be living in such a way that draws a little bit of attention, a little bit like, why, where is this hope coming from, this perspective you have on the world, where is that coming from? And hopefully, I want you to be prepared to give an answer. Well, here's the answer. Here's why we have hope. Here's the basics of, of the church. Here's the church's mission. First, the Great Commission. Make disciples, Jesus Christ, for the transformation of the world, baptizing them, and teaching them to obey the commands. Well, what's the commands? The great commandments. Love God and love neighbor. And here's the thing. You can't do one without the other. It's not possible to love God if you're failing to love your neighbor. First John says it like this. Uh, I think it'll be up on the screen. First John says, uh, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister, these are strong words, friends, is a liar. I love God. I just I don't know about people. Well, For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, right? Part of discipleship is learning to obey the commands of Jesus. Here's the command, a summary of the commands. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And so you've got this really simple to understand, not necessarily to live out command, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. In our tradition, what we talk about when we talk about the gospel, we see it as a coin, and, and there's two sides to the coin. The, the, the top side, which we've been talking about, is what we might refer to as the personal gospel, what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to be able to talk about your faith and share it with other people, and individuals are experiencing a 180 trans. This is the personal gospel. 
But we also say on the other side of the coin, if you flip it around, is what we would refer to as the social gospel. What does it mean to love those who are our neighbors? Because when people ask Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? Well, who's my neighbor? What, or, 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 or what does it mean to love my neighbor? Jesus had very clear answers of what that means. And that social gospel is that what does it mean to actually engage in people who have hard lives, who are on the margins, who are, who've been tossed aside. Both are extremely important. Now, I want to name something in case you haven't thought about this. Typically, stereotypical, this is a trend. It's not true for everyone. More conservative churches do a great job with the personal gospel. I have a friend... He's amazing pastor. He's, he's, he's just, he's full-blown, 100% classic evangelical conservative Christian. And I asked him about, you know, does your church deal, like, talk about current issues? This is something we're going to get to in a second. And he's like, no, we, we preach Jesus, Jesus only. Like, Jesus, like, that's what we do. We just talk about Jesus. And that's what he does. And he wants to see people come to know Jesus, and that's his thing. And friends, I guarantee you at the end of the day, when he meets Jesus, Jesus is going to say, well done, a good faithful servant. It's fantastic. Now, stereotypically, traditionally, trends, once again, more progressive churches tend to focus more on the social gospel. I know people who are part, I know free pastors who are part of more progressive churches, and you know what? They don't even believe, they don't even have a theology to believe that someone needs to know Jesus. They believe their entire call as a church is to just love people like Jesus would love them, to, to serve the poor, and they do a phenomenal job doing it. It becomes their entire focus. They have meals and outreach and community and all of this stuff to care for the most marginalized in society. And I promise you, when they get before the throne of grace, God's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Our hope, and this is hard, is to, is to have both. What does it mean to really take the personal gospel and what it means for someone to meet Jesus? Seriously. But also take what it means to love people like Jesus really seriously. So you've got the great commission, you've got the great commandment, and ultimately there's a third. I encourage you to write this down if you haven't, what we call the great requirement. What does it mean to love your neighbor? Micah 6, 8 says it like this. He has shown you, O oh mortal, what is good. I loved what Stephen, Stephen, Stephen's story challenges me, and I really love that because I'm uncomfortable with things in life, and I, I shy away, I back away, and I'm not always present, and I, you know, but he says, oh, you mortal, hey, you who's not going to live forever, you've got limited time here on earth, what do you do? What's required of you? He goes on and says, and what does the Lord require you? You got these limited times. You're not going to live forever. You can't do everything. You're immortal. You're not God. But what's required of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Yeah, we hope, and I hope 100% that people who don't know the grace of Jesus Christ find Jesus and their life is transformed. And I also hope, as I flip the coin over, that those who have found the grace of Jesus offer it especially to those who Jesus calls us to. In fact, it was Matthew 25. If you're still in Matthew, you can go there. I'm not going to read it. Matthew 25. And Jesus is talking about heaven and hell. Actually, he's talking about, you know, who's going to end up in heaven, who's going to end up in hell, who's going to be with him, who's going to be sent away. And he, he divides them into groups, sheep and goats. And he said, well, what's going to divide the sheep and goats? And he says, well, you know, what divides them is whether you fed people who were hungry, gave water to people who were thirsty, clothed people who were naked, visited people who were in prison, and welcomed the stranger, Greek word there meaning immigrant, into your home. 
Because he says that's going to be the deciding factor. And he says to those who did it, he says, you've, you've welcomed me. You gave me water when I was thirsty. You gave me food when I was hungry. You gave me clothes when I didn't have any. He says that to them. And they're like, well, well when did we ever do that? He says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it for me. And the other people are like, well, when did we not do that for you, Jesus? I don't remember bumping into you and not giving you. If you, if I, if you would have been there, Jesus, I would have made sure you got clothes. And he says, no, 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 no. When you didn't do it for the least of these, you didn't do it for me either. We talk a lot about what it means to experience God. And sometimes, as we are sometimes a community of people who, have, who are cynics and doubters, you know, we still worship in Jesus, but we're also doubting. People wrestle sometimes to experience God. And I'm just saying this, Matthew 25, it's a great example. You want to experience God? Jesus is like, hey, one place to be sure you will find me is in the person who's in the margins. The one who needs water, the one who needs food, the one who needs clothes, the one who needs a visitor who's in prison, the one who's a stranger. And welcome him in. You want to meet Jesus? You'll meet him there. He says, that's where I, in some mysterious, supernatural way, identify with these people. So the last six weeks, we've been spending some time in evangelism, talking about what it means to share our faith and for people to come to know Jesus and what is the gospel. We're going to transition and we're going to flip the coin and we're going to spend some time talking about what does it mean to love people in the margins. So we're going to be kicking off a new series called Headlines. Um, uh, and if you want to, she's going to pass out some information. I want you guys, it's a little postcard um, that you can take home. Because it, it, here's the thing. As we begin this series, we're talking about local stories, local news stories that are happening in our city that are about real people. And we're not just doing it because they're local stories. We're doing it because these represent the type of people that Jesus says, hey, I'm commanding you to care about. And as disciples, we've got to teach what Jesus commanded, and Jesus commands us to care about people like these stories. And so we're going to spend some time with that, and you can get some information there. What I encourage you to do with this postcard is I bet there are people in your life who aren't interested in church but might be interested in one of these topics. So I'm going to jump to the list of the topics. Here's what it's, uh, the, the series is going to look like as we transition towards um, uh, the headline series. We've got some special guests coming that are going to help us learn about some of these sort of complicated, heartbreaking things that are happening in our city, and, and more specifically answer the question, what should the church be doing? How can we help? So the first week, next week, we're going to kick it off. We're going to talk about human trafficking and prostitution. Now, I understand that this, all of these topics are a little heavy, a little, a little hard, but they're things that Jesus cares about, the things that break Jesus' heart, and we want, to, we want to wrestle with them as well. And we want to spend some time with them. We want to see the issues as God would see them. So we're going to spend some time talking about human trafficking in our city, and Hannah Esterbrook's going to be with us. She organizes Catch Court. Catch Court is a restorative justice arm of our justice department department here in, in, the, in the, the central Ohio area. And so people who um, are arrested for human trafficking or for prostitution, they end up in catch court. And she's also a, just this fantastic Christian who has a heart for this population and does really great, does some ministry outside of her job with um, women who are caught in cycles of prostitution. So she's going to come, she's going to share, and there'll be time to ask questions. So if you followed news stories and you're like, what happened with that vice group thing that happened? She can talk to that. She can talk about a variety of issues and help you understand kind of what's going on, and ways that Christians can be engaged in this issue, and why Christians should care, and what does the Bible have to say about it. So it's going to be a great conversation. We're going to start with that next week. The following week, we're going to spend some time talking about sanctuary churches, and uh, we currently are still figuring out what kind of speaker we may or may not have for that topic, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that one just in a little bit more. And then on uh, September 1st, we've lined up Tom Thompson. 
Tom Thompson's the founder of a recovery ministry called The Refuge. They're one of our partners um, on, on the west side. We do some fantastic, they do some fantastic work. They've thousands of men and now women have gone through their program. They've gotten off of drugs and alcohol. And he's going to be a wealth of knowledge where he can speak to what's happening in our city the, and, and, and also a little bit of time for Q&A. And then the last topic we're going to wrestle with is gentrification and economic segregation. Now, here's the thing. I really want us to engage this in a healthy way. And some of these topics are are a little more uh, divisive and complicated than others, and we're not always in agreement. So we're going to do something little unique that I think you'll find really interesting. We did it in the first service, um, and the results were live, so I already seen results from the first service. We're going to take a survey and get your feedback on some of these things. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to pull out your smartphone. If you have a smartphone with you, pull it out, and I want you to go to this website, centralcity.co slash survey centralcity.co slash survey. I encourage you to do this right now. It'll take just a second. We're going to walk through it. Um, I think you'll find uh, next week, if you come back, um, as we share the results of the survey, uh, will be really fascinating. If you go there at the top of the survey, it lists the topics that we're going to be dealing with, um, and it gives you a very brief definition so we know what we're talking about. The first one is sanctuary churches, um, when a place of worship houses someone who would otherwise be deported. So there's a, Ohio's like top three cities in the United States with the number of sanctuary churches. So this is a thing that's happening. It's been in the news a lot. These are Christians um, who are housing individuals that otherwise be deported. Um, I'll, I'll say that it's probably one of the more controversial topics we're dealing with, but um, that's uh, sanctuary churches. The opioid crisis has to do with issues related to drug addiction, overdose, and recovery. Human trafficking, prostitution has to do with issues related to women caught in cycles of prostitution. And gentrification, economic segregation, is when neighborhoods improve at the cost of displacing poor residents, producing economically segregated neighborhoods. So this is obviously something that happens in Columbus a lot, and it's a topic of conversation that makes the news and impacts uh, people that Jesus cares about. So we want to wrestle with that as well. So here's the survey. Um, I really want your thoughts on this. The first question is this, how comfortable are you talking about these topics? Let's just be honest. You know, where are you at? When you talk about sanctuary churches or drug addiction, does it make you uneasy? Or you're not so sure, you're like, you're not, you don't know how you feel about it, or bring it on. Yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, here's the thing, we might present views or our speakers might present views that some of us disagree with, right? These are complicated issues. So I want to know ahead of time, how uncomfortable will you be? Are you, are you like, yeah, let's bring it on. Even if they say stuff I disagree with, I'll, I'll live with that. Or like, no, I'm pretty uncomfortable with this. So let's be really careful how we handle this topic. We want to know. The next question is simply, how interested are you um, in learning more about these topics? So yeah, I'm really interested. I want to learn more. I'm not so interested. That would be useful to know. We're going to spend a whole Sunday on it. I want to know if like the majority of our community doesn't want to know anything about this. That would be helpful information. Um, and then also, I'm, I'm already fairly knowledgeable. Say you already kind of know already. So you can answer that for each one of those. The next one is, um, which I think will be really helpful for us, in your opinion, how divided or in agreement are Christians in responding the, to these issues? Generally speaking, as you see it, do you feel like Christians are generally in agreement with these, to- you know, how to respond to these things? Or do you think Christians are generally in disagreement? That, that's going to help shape our conversation, how we handle it. You know, how much of two different sides do we dig into or, or whatever? So with each one of these, where do you think Christians are either in agreement or disagreement? Those are those questions. The next one is this. This one's a little, little risky for us, 
but uh, I've been a part of a church that's done this, and it's been very helpful. I would I'll give you a chance to self-identify. Where do you land on this political or theological spectrum? So when you think about where you stand in the world of, of, of the American government or politics, do you identify more left or do you identify more right? Left being politically progressive and right being uh, politically conservative and three being right in the middle. Um, so we just give you a chance to name that and that'll kind of help us as a community understand kind of where we're at generally speaking. Then also, where do you put yourself theologically on the spectrum? A little bit more left theologically or right theological. And I want you to answer this as you see it. This is your self-identifying. So like we had somebody tell me where I was and I was like, I don't know if I'm there, but you know, I probably am perceived somewhere on that spectrum. Maybe you guys don't even agree where I'm at. Um, But uh, I want you to answer for yourself. The last three questions give you a chance to say a little bit more. When discussing these topics at church, what is something you really hope is communicated or not communicated? So cards on the table, friends. We're going to Spend a week on this topic. After we do it, I get a really long email from you saying you should have said all of these things. I want to know that before we talk about it, okay? So if you have strong opinions about something, let me know. That's good. It might not change what we say, but it will deeply inform how we say it. And it might even change what we say. So if you have a strong opinion or you've looked into this already and you're like, here's how I feel and here's what I hope you'll name it, please let us know. The second one is, what other headlines do you wish we were covering in this series? We had a few people in leadership say, you know, can we do some other topics, specifically ones that have popped up in the news again recently? They said, can we address white, white supremacy or racism or mass shootings? And I said, I think the church should wrestle with those things. Um, the reality is, is these are topics that I've been researching for weeks. I've been sitting down with experts and interviewing. We've been trying to line. It, we can't just talk about something haphazardly. We need time to look into it. I need time to look into it in order to be able to address it. So uh, we can't just talk about everything, but I am curious. If there's something like, I wish this was being addressed, let us know. We'll be able to name it. We'll be able to say, here's stuff that people in our community are concerned about. And then down the road, maybe it's something that we, we can address. We'd very much want to know kind of where you're at. Um, so that's, and then the last one is just any other comments. I encourage you to take a second and fill that out. Um, if you haven't already, uh, I will say that in the first service, we had about 24 people fill it out and there was probably only about 30 people in worship. So I feel like that was a pretty good return. So I'm curious to see, um, where you all are as well. When Jesus gave us the great commission to a room of worshipers and doubters, he said, go and make disciples and teach them my way in the world. Share your faith, help people experience this conversion and be baptized, but also teach them what I have commanded you. And Jesus' commands are rich. And many of them have to do with how we love God. All of them have to do with how we love God and love our neighbor. So we're inviting you into a season where we can learn how to love our neighbors better. Not just the neighbor who lives next to me, but the neighbor who lives on the other side of the street, who lives down on the other side of the city, who lives in the other side of the world. What does it mean to really love? And part of loving is understanding, and that, I think, is a great place to start. And that's the invitation. So I'm going to take some time to pray, but I do invite the band to come up um, and get set. And um, I do want us, as we enter into this, you know, the reality is is that uh, just candidly, the last time, 
we did this series, so this might be like an ongoing thing for us. Last time we did a series on headlines, we talked about Black Lives Matter, we talked about Me Too movement, we talked about some other, you know, controversial topics. Then people afterwards said, you know, this isn't a church for us. Um, they, they opted out because of it. And I've been wrestling with that. Um, I'm kind of, a, I guess, a glutton for punishment, or, or I guess people tell me I'm an eight Enneagram. Any Enneagram people out there? No? Well, uh, supposedly I'm an eight, so part of it's that. If you don't know what that means, that's a whole other conversation. But I've wrestled with that, and, and I, I certainly don't hope that people will say, I don't want to be a part of a church that, that talks about these things or talks about them in a way I disagree. But I do want to be a place where we can wrestle about what it means to love the people God loves and, and spend time with that. And so I want to pray, and I want to invite you in to pray that God's grace would just fill our conversations and that the Holy Spirit work in mysterious ways and kind of open our hearts to some harder stuff and, and people who've got difficult stories and that we might just be a place that uh, doesn't back away from the mortality and the brokenness that we see in the world, but leans into it enough to offer grace and compassion um, around complicated stuff and towards each other as we disagree. So with that, will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would fall on us. You've called us to be a church that loves our neighbors and, and, and we know that that doesn't just mean to love the people we know already, love the people who are like us. Lord, we want to be your student. So Lord, as we try to learn, as we try to stretch what we know already around difficult things and, and individuals who are living difficult lives, as we learn about these things, we just ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us and that you would create opportunity for us to be engaged. You have called us to be your hands and feet. You left us and commissioned us to be you in this world, to be like you, to be Jesus to the people. So Lord, help us to take that place that you had as you interact with the prostitute, as you interact with the tax collector, as you interact with the sinners, help us be those people that becomes contagious to those who are living in difficult places, that they flock to us, that we're safe, and they can experience your grace and your love. So Holy Spirit, we ask your grace would just infiltrate us, infiltrate our hearts and our minds, that we would experience what it means to be your people in the messiness of life. It's your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand as we do our closing song.